0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. For the wonderfully warm welcome, this is actually my second visit to the Advent. I came for the first time for the Linton preaching series, the wonderful series that you all have uh, this year. And I confess, I did not expect to be invited back so quickly. So I'm, I'm delighted to be back, and it's it's a wonderful joy and honor to be with you this morning. One of my favorite parts of action, adventure movies, or superhero movies is that moment in the arc of the story when things look more dire and hopeless than you ever thought possible. I remember uh, watching The Lord of the Rings for the first time, and I have to confess to those of you who are literary purists here that I had not yet read the books when I saw the first movie, and so I had no idea how the story would turn out, and I can remember this mounting sense of dread and doom as the story progressed, and the moment when Gandalf falls to what I was sure was his death, I was just completely convinced there was no hope for Middle Earth at all, and this was going to be a very dark story indeed, and there's a certain kind of, of entertainment value, there's a certain kind of excitement with that moment, isn't there, when we're, we're on the edge of our seats and it, it, it looks as though all that we were hoping for is, is not going to be true in this story, and we keep watching in that moment. I remember, for instance, the first Avengers movie. Do you remember the climax of that movie where um, there's a wormhole that opens right above the skyline of New York City? And, uh, you know, know, I know as much as the next person how these movies turn out, but I was still filled with dread as these alien ships come pouring out of this wormhole, and they're, they're descending on New York, and it looks as though, uh, even though our, our superheroes have all the powers they need, they're not going to be able to fix this situation. There's something deeply pleasurable about that moment when we're watching it on screen, but when we're experiencing it in real life, it's another story altogether. That moment when all hope seems to have disappeared... That moment when we thought we were doing a decent job of managing our finances and paying off debts, and then suddenly out of nowhere comes a wave of unexpected expenses and you're you're looking at your budget and you're saying there's no way this is going to be balanced. Hope flees in that moment, not a pleasant moment. Or that moment when... Your professor calls you into her office and says firmly but compassionately, I'm sorry. There's absolutely no way you're going to pass this class. Or that moment when a child, an adult child, for instance, calls after years of conflict and says the words we least want to hear. I, I won't be coming home for Christmas this year. All hope is drained out of the situation. You find yourself staring at a gulf, an abyss of hopelessness. Well, that moment, that moment of utter dire hopelessness is, I think, where Jesus wants to push the Pharisees in our gospel for this morning. Remember the story. The Pharisees are observing Jesus' disciples eating loaves of bread with hands that are ritually impure, hands that are unwashed. Now, in the Old Testament, only the priests were required to wash their hands before offering a sacrifice. But the Pharisees, remember, they were the people of Jesus' day who went above and beyond the letter of the law. They went above and beyond the requirements of the Old Testament. They were those who wanted to put a fence around the law in order to be sure that they avoided even the slightest infraction, And so it wasn't enough to simply observe the command as it's written. You have to go a bit beyond the command in order to make sure you don't even approach transgressing the command. And so when they see Jesus' disciples ignoring this, flouting this extension, they're upset. And they confront Jesus about it. Here's what they say. Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands? The Pharisees are angry that Jesus' disciples are not observing the tradition. And Jesus, never one to mince words, fires back. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. At one level, it seems that Jesus is simply exasperated by how narrow-minded the Pharisees are. Why are you people, he says, in effect, so hyper-aware of the smallest infraction of your extra-biblical tradition, but you neglect to care for and attend to the very clear commands of God, such as caring for your aging relatives? Most of us would probably cheer at this moment in the story, wouldn't we? Uh, Most of us, we've seen religious nitpicking and legalism, and we're disgusted by it. We're turned off by it, and so we're very happy that Jesus is attacking this. We've read articles about bishops who seem very concerned about exactly the right length and precisely the correct shade of white on their vestments, but who turn a blind eye to the abuse that's being perpetuated in their diocese. Or we've seen pastors devoting hours to making sure uh, the carpet is exactly the right shade, but ignoring the pleas uh, regarding injustice happening in the parish. So we're prepared, I think, to cheer when Jesus says, You, Pharisees, have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. But I think there's a deeper level to this story. I don't think Jesus is simply denouncing religious nitpicking and legalism. I think he's doing something deeper, something more radical, something more far-reaching. He is not only exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he's going deeper to expose their culpable blindness to the true situation of the human condition. Now in order to feel the weight of this gospel passage, we need to remember that for many people Jesus interacted with, observing the law was how they found hope. Observing the law with extreme strictness was exactly the way to hold on to a rope over that gulf of hopelessness. Keeping the law provided their hope of healing for the evil desires that they struggled against. Keeping the law gave them hope that they could maintain their cultural identity and preserve their good name. Keeping the law gave them hope of future vindication and salvation. Keeping the law was the the thread that they clung to, the anchor that they clung to in in the storm of hopelessness in life. And Jesus' words take that hope right away. Listen to me, he says, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Jesus, when he confronts the Pharisees, he's like the professor who says, I'm sorry, you'll be earning an F in this class. Jesus is like the child who says to the parent, This relationship. Is over. Jesus is like the giant red letters on your screen when you log into your bank account to see how much is left. Jesus' words to the Pharisees are like that moment in The Lord of the Rings when Gandalf plunges to his death. There is no hope in the hope you've been clinging to. Jesus says that their one hope is, in fact, no hope. The law that they're adhering to can't fix the problem of defilement. It can't take away the abyss of impurity. It can't save, it can't repair, it can't redeem. It's as though Jesus is a doctor who says to a patient, things are far worse than you ever imagined. Listen to how he goes on. He says, It is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus, I think, he isn't simply bothered by the fact that the Pharisees aren't humane and compassionate enough. He's angry because the Pharisees are blinding people to the true depths of the human problem. By focusing on their traditions, the Pharisees are like a doctor who tells a cancer patient that the top priority must be treating a mosquito bite. The Pharisees, according to Jesus, are like a rescue volunteer who plunges into a burning house and tells the persons in the house that the top priority is rearranging the dishes in the cabinets. The Pharisees' advice is completely and utterly and wildly out of step with the true reality of the situation. And Jesus says, wake up. Don't you see how dire things are? Jesus is, as it were, cutting the rope that the Pharisees are clinging to. He says, your true situation is far worse than you ever dreamed. The evil inclinations of the heart can't be fixed with food customs. The condition you're in can't be escaped. Jesus is turning the screws. He's nailing the coffin. He's sealing off the exits. He is forcing the Pharisees to come face to face with the doom of sin. And he's leaving them with the question. And he's leaving us with the question this morning. Where then can we find hope? If things are this bad, where can we find hope? Well, I think the answer is... Buried in the middle of our gospel passage. And the lectionary omits this, annoyingly. uh, So I'm going to read it now. Uh, Jesus, right in the middle of this passage, says... Sorry, the narrator, Mark, the author of the gospel, writes in the middle of our text this morning, Jesus declared all foods clean. According to this statement... Jesus is in the ultimate position of authority. He is able to definitively interpret the very law of God. He is, in person, the presence of the God of Israel. And it is time, Jesus says, for Israel to awaken to her true situation, not only to face her sin, but to recognize who is in her midst. It is time for Israel to realize that there is one, and there is only one, who can make Israel's hearts clean. It is Jesus himself, and it is only Jesus, who can reach into the inner recesses of their lives and offer forgiveness and mercy and the sort of purity that we all, Pharisees and disciples alike, need. It is time to turn to him, Jesus, the Lord of the law and find redemption in no other way. Well, as the Gospel of Mark spirals its way to its conclusion, the Jesus who puts the final nail in the coffin of the Pharisees' hopes will go into his own coffin. He will take on the full corruption and defilement of his disciples' hearts. He will take on, as well, the arrogance and the judgmentalism of the Pharisees' hearts. He will heap all of this up on himself like a great weight or burden of iniquity, and he will be crushed under its weight. And later in this gospel, he will say, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus will go. To the uttermost place of total hopelessness, all the way to that final haunting cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, in order to show Israel and to show us the true hope that the Pharisees cannot offer and do not know. And in that moment of his hopelessness, and in the moment that comes afterward, when he's raised from the dead, it will be as if Gandalf came back to life. It will be as if our financial debts were canceled. It will be as if that F on our transcript were turned into an A. It will be as if that child who is estranged calls and says, I will be coming home for Christmas and all is forgiven. In Jesus' hopelessness, in his death, we will find new life. And in his rising from the dead, we will find true, solid